Jason Jolkowski was a 19-year-old from Omaha, Nebraska. He had a passion for broadcasting and the Chicago Cubs. On the morning of June 13, 2001, his car was in the shop, so he began his 10-minute walk to meet a co-worker who would give him a ride to work. Jason never reached the rendezvous location, and he was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. happen to know where the term vanish into thin air came from? For all of you future Jeopardy champions, if you guessed Shakespeare, you'd be generally correct. The phrase vanish into air was first uttered in the play Othello in 1604 from Shakespeare. And then six years later in The Tempest, the saying into thin air was used. But it wasn't until 1822 in the Edinburgh Advertiser that somebody put those two phrases together and came up with vanish into thin air. So the term has been in the English language, the lexicon, for almost two centuries. And it captures a feeling of disbelief and puzzlement as much then I think, as it does now. That phrase comes to my mind when I study the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski. Here one second and gone the next. It just doesn't seem possible, does it? That in a country of 320 million people and a planet full of 7 billion people with cameras, and seemingly police everywhere, and phones that track people, and even your cars these days track you, that someone could be here and then be gone, and there be no evidence, no clues, no leads, no suspects. But that's exactly what we have in this case. I guess I could also add that Hollywood has not helped this, has it? That every case needs to be solved in 43 minutes. That every detective just happens to have a seemingly a sixth sense, you might say, into what happened. Seems to notice something that everybody else ignores or doesn't see. But this is real life where Jason's disappearance brought pain to his family, pain that continues to this day. Just like every disappearance brings pain to friends and family of the victim. But in these cases where there are no leads, they seem especially depressing. Uh, Maybe it's just me, but uh, these are the kinds of cases I think that hit me the most. I would contrast this with those cases we know about. In fact, maybe you could bring up the prior case that I covered with Suzanne Lyle where there's somewhat of a suspicion of what happened, but nobody can prove anything. There's no evidence. There's no DNA. There's no fingerprints. 
But still, given the circumstances, you kind of suspect, even though, once again, even in that case, uh, nobody's been included in Suzanne's disappearance. But in Jason's case, there's no suspects. There's no suspicion. It's, it's seemingly like any person who was alive at the time in 2001 could have made him disappear. And that has to be frustrating. And in fact, you will hear in this interview that is included with this show that even a veteran police officer who was on the force in Omaha at the time said that this is the most confounding case that he ever encountered in all of his years on the force. So where does that leave us as amateurs? All we can do is keep the news out there. All we can do is continue to raise awareness for these cases and others. Because that's the only way that they're going to get solved. That's the only way that these people, both the victims and their families, are never going to be forgotten. I'm calling this episode Jason Jolkowski the Cubs fan who didn't come home. 19-year-old Jason Jolkowski was called into work at Fazoli's restaurant, his employer. His car was in the shop, but he called to Fazoli, stating that he made arrangements with a co-worker to pick him up at Omaha Benson High School, eight blocks away. He was last seen by a neighbor taking out the trash at his home before walking to the school. Under an hour later, between 11.15 and 11.30 a.m., Jolkowski's co-worker called to say that Jason never showed up. Jolkowski has not been seen since. Shortly after his disappearance, the school's security cameras were checked, but none of them showed Jolkowski arriving at the school. His bank account was never accessed. He had no reason to leave home. In fact, he was starting a new job the week after his disappearance. Jason was wearing a Chicago Cubs t-shirt, Cubs baseball hat, black pants, and black shoes. He also carried a red work shirt. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski, please contact the Omaha Police Department at 402-444-5657. I'm very fortunate to have on the show today... And I should tell you now that this interview was broken into two parts, uh, one regarding specifically the disappearance of Jason, and then the second part regarding this woman's work with families in the United States who have lost loved ones to disappearances. Her name is Kelly Murphy, and she is the mother of Jason Jolkowski, and she is also the founder of Project Jason. I welcome her to the show. I want to welcome to the show uh, Kelly Murphy. She is the mother of Jason Jolkowski, and uh, please introduce yourself, Kelly, and I appreciate uh, you being on the show. Hi, Ed. I I appreciate being on the show, being asked to be on the show, and share Jason's story as, as well as the work that our organization does. It's very important to help people understand the cause of the missing. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And I should note for the record that the organization she is talking about is Project Jason. 
uh, a nonprofit uh, organization that helps families of, of missing people that started in 2003. And later in this discussion, uh, we're going to be talking about what Project Jason, how it got started, what it does, and maybe some of the things that it's going to be doing in the future. Um, maybe an example might be, you know, some laws maybe that uh, Kelly is trying to pass in the near future. Uh, Kelly, tell the listeners uh, a little bit about Jason. Jason is, is very much missed. Um, very sweet kid. He he did live at home. He was age 19 at the time of his disappearance. And, you know, no one could have possibly disliked him in any way, shape, or form. Just, you know, he was the kid that you just never mm -hmm. had any problems with because mm -hmm. normally when... When uh, young men turn age 13, things happen. Yes. Things can be unpleasant, kind of difficult, rocky times. But, but Jason was always such a good kid and, and really rarely caused any problems at all. And, you know, people would say, well, you know, he probably did a lot of things that you don't think, um, you know, smoking, drinking, mm -hmm. maybe dipping into drugs, that kind of thing. And it's like... I understand where you're coming from because typical kid at that age is going to be doing some or all of those things or at least experimenting, but I just don't think that's where Jason was. He was very involved with his family, love of family. Um, he volunteered as a, a lector at church, uh, meaning that he would read the readings. And Are you Catholic? Would that be Catholic? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, so just really a, a sweet, good kid that we didn't have any problems with. Um, he did have learning disabilities, so things were not as easy for him mm -hmm. as, as with other uh, persons of his age. Uh, in high school, he was bullied because people didn't understand uh, what, what was wrong. They didn't understand the way that he learned and processed. And, you know, it took a long time for him to get his driver's license because learning to drive with multiple input uh, to the brain was, was not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, he, but he did it. He managed. And just like everything else, you know, graduated from high school and started going to community college part-time. And even though his his core issue was with uh, some brain processing and uh, having to do with language. It, it really amazed me that he went to community college and actually went into the radio broadcasting program yeah. of all things. <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to that recording of his, and, and I, I'm telling you, as a person who has devoted the last 15 years of his life to you know, entertainment and being in front of people speaking and things like that, I would have never guessed. I mean, he, he was so good. I mean, definitely had a talent in that area, and I want you to know that. Oh, I, thank you. He, yeah, he does. Um, yeah, so, you know, he started on the radio program and learning how to do that, and he kind of got his own persona because for the, the community college, they had their own radio station, and so that was a part of, of taking that curriculum was that, you were, you were a DJ, <laughs> and mm -hmm. boy, did he make some snafus when he first started. There was one 
of the first nights that he was on his own and we were at home listening and all of a sudden there was this horrible silence hmm. on and on and we're sitting there thinking, what is going on? There must be a button you're not pushing or something. And mm-hmm. uh, so finally he figured out whatever it was. And um, it was kind of funny. Before he got an audience, he would have his little brother call in and, you know, be a listener. And uh, But pretty soon he didn't have to do that because he actually got a following. And to hear him do his radio persona, it didn't even sound like him. And he, he just did a really good job it was just so surprising because to listen to him in that role you would never ever yeah. even imagine that he had a learning disability having to do with language i would no. truly no truly amazing i th- i agree with you I, once again as a writer who you know uses words i i'm with you that uh no can never tell no never and there was another thing that was amazing about him is he was like a, a walking sports trivia um, dictionary of sorts. I mean, you could say, you know, who won the the World Series in 1953, mm-hmm. you know, and he would know the answer. It was really, really amazing. So that was something that um, had his career continued that he wanted to delve into uh, more into the, the sports aspect of things. Um, but unfortunately... That didn't get to happen. Um, I, I want to ask you a question about this. If, if you know, if I would meet Jason and, and talk to him, and I talk to him about baseball, for example, sure. would I would I necessarily know that? I mean, how would uh, his mental deficiency manifest itself if if I was talking to him just in casual conversation? I run into him at the grocery store. Would I have any idea? talking to him and you were outside and maybe there was noise of traffic or dogs or mm-hmm. ambulance go by or, or other things and you have multiple input um, and you know so he would have to deal with whatever that was um, and even if there wasn't multiple input if you were in a quiet room talking there was still a lot of processing because people don't realize and think about that sort of issue because we don't have that processing type of issue. So if, if you think about it, you're listening to someone talk, mm-hmm. you have to process the words. You have to process yeah. the meaning. What are they saying? Are they asking me a question? And then in your mind, then you have to come up with what, what do I say back? So mm-hmm. that wasn't an easy thing. So there could be a pause before he would answer mm-hmm. or he could you know, potentially need to ask you to repeat a part of what you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you think that um, he was probably going to go into maybe the broadcast field or, or something. That was where his interests really lay? Sports broadcasting. Sports. Yes, sports. absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, let's move on a, a little bit. Um to the day that he disappeared. Um, what the first question I would have for you is: At what point in the day did you know that something you know was wrong? Well, I was at work. I believe at that time I worked until six p.m. And um, his father, I think he got off maybe like around four. Um, 
but I didn't know until sometime later in the afternoon, because I don't think his father knew either for a while, mm-hmm. that something was wrong. And, and I got a call asking if I had heard from him. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, why would I have heard from him? You know, that wouldn't be normal because I'm at work and I didn't have the kind of job where I could, you know, freely take or make calls. So that's, you know, when I first found out something was going on that, you know, this whole story about him getting called into work. And, mm. and of course, I knew, obviously, you know, the rest of the story that his car was in the shop and, you know, he let him know he didn't have a ride because both of his parents were at work. And if they really needed him to come, someone was going to have to come get him because it was too far to walk. Had he ever been uh, picked up to, for work before? Was this a first-time thing? Been picked up? Yes. Did he? Uh, I guess he usually drove to work. Yes, he usually drove to work. But there had been a really bad hailstorm, and his car was in the body shop to, to fix the hail damage. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, he drove. But before he got his own car, we drove him. You know, we mm-hmm. dropped him off and we picked him up based on our schedule. So usually, you know. Uh, his father would take him, and, and I would pick him up. Okay. What's the neighborhood like? You know, in, in Omaha, Nebraska, I've never been there. It's a, It seems like a big city to me, but this is just one small neighborhood of, of that city. What's What was the neighborhood like that he'd, he would have well, – where you lived, where he would have walked through to meet this coworker at the high school? Sure. Uh, this was an older, established neighborhood, and it was – really pretty much all residential about a block away there was a little park it it didn't even have swing sets or anything it just mostly was uh, a a block square of grass and some benches Mm -hmm. and um, it it was the type of neighborhood that there could be some radical differences so for example the the block that we lived on and, and even several blocks around us you know was older established homes, but taken care of and and no issues with neighbors. But if you went maybe three, four, five blocks in each direction, you would run into pockets of areas where uh, it was in decline. And then also probably, uh, oh, maybe a mile away, uh, you got into, I, I suppose, what some would consider kind of area manifested by gangs. Okay. Uh, so not a good area of town. So it's kind of on the border of that part of town that was not so nice. But he wouldn't have, uh, the, the path that he would take from your house to the school, fairly safe? Oh, yes. Fair, okay. So that, okay. that whole route, um, they're really, I mean, maybe there's a couple houses kind of in decline on that whole route, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I mean, even to this day, if, if I was back there, I I would feel comfortable walking that route. I probably wouldn't want to do it in the dark, but as far mm-hmm. as during the day, yeah, I, I would be comfortable doing it. And is that the high school that Jason went to? Yes, Benson High School. Okay, and so did he walk to school while he was in high school? I'm, I'm going to guess it wasn't that far. Did, yeah. he, did he walk? So this was a walk that he had done yeah. many times over. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Knew by heart. No problems at all. Probably knew every little 
shortcut there, but it, it was almost a straight shot, though, because once you walked that block and a half to that little park uh, and you turned onto that street, it mm-hmm. was a straight shot uh, and, and then a half a block, you know, to the actual parking lot. So people along that route would have recognized Jason from years past, him passing. If anybody was home, you know, that day, you know, it's a weekday, time of day, who knows how many people would be home. But if they saw him, you know, they'd say, oh, that, that, that kid, they may not know his name, but they'd say, oh, that kid that used to walk, you know, past our house or, you know, some... Um, possibly, sure. Possibly. Okay. Um, the co-worker and... I know that, you know, I've read, you know, several places, co-workers have been investigated, completely cleared. I just have a question. When she, I guess I'm going to guess that they were supposed to meet at about 11 a.m. You know, he left at like, so that's seen about 1045. She finally, about quarter after 11, called somebody to let them know that Jason never showed up. Who did she call? I believe that she called the business, the the restaurant, okay. because she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how long should she keep waiting. You know what should she do? So, so she called, and I believe they told her to wait a little bit longer and and then come back. Okay. Did she have a cell phone? Was did she make the call from a cell phone or from a payphone? From memory, I thought she had to go use a payphone. Um, okay. There was a, a little gas station kind of catty-cornered to the school, and I think that she went over there. Okay. The reason I ask is because uh, I was trying to explore the possibility that maybe he was late, he got waylaid somehow, and being that it's 2001, and I know that I didn't own – I was 31 years old at the time. I didn't own a cell, cell phone at the time, and so I was thinking – this woman, or maybe it's a young woman, I have no idea what her name is, how old she is, um, but maybe she didn't have a cell phone either. She has to go somewhere, and could it have been when she left to go make that phone call that Jason then showed up? And he's like, well, well she's not there, so. and then he just says, oh, what sure. am I going to do? Well, I don't think so, because they, they did check out all the camera feeds, and mm-hmm. you know that school had quite a few cameras all over it, mm-hmm. and even there was a junior high in the building right next to it, which was actually on that street that he walked up. And so none of those camera feeds and, and watching the video, did they see him at all? So mm, wow. what that tells us is, is that he just simply did not get to the property. Because out of all those cameras, had she or had he come and she wasn't there, it, it would have picked him up. Right. Right. Well, I don't believe he ever made it to the property. Did Did she know where you lived? Did she know where Jason lived? Um, I I don't think so because the, from the story that I got was was that you know she or someone at the restaurant asked for exact directions, mm-hmm. and you know, no, being that the school was that close, he said, "Hey, you know, don't worry about it." I'll just walk there and meet you there because that's a lot easier to find the school than a specific house. Right. I, the, once again, the, the, the context for that question is, you know, a lot of these cases, you know, I'm looking at them. I try to put myself in the, in the mind of that person who's waiting or something like that. And I was wondering, 
when he didn't show up at 11, did she try to drive around and maybe just see if he was late and kind of, you know, backtrack the, the path he might have taken from the house? Um, if she did, I was never made aware of that. Okay. So I suspect that she probably just went straight back to the restaurant because they were so short-staffed. Okay. So the, 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 the suspicion is that he doesn't show up at 11. She goes over to this this gas station uh, nearby and phones and they tell her, well, if he doesn't show up, I guess, you know, he didn't show up and just come back to the restaurant. Uh, did they try to call your house, you know, to find out if he left the house or anything like that? Yes. Um, I'm not sure what time those calls started, okay. but I, I don't think it was too much longer uh, from memory that they started calling and asking if, if he was home. And, of course, again, we weren't home, but his little brother was and told him, no, he went to work because that's what he knew. Okay. Um, you had mentioned earlier that he had suffered some bullying while he was in school. Um, I'm going to guess that the police at least looked a little bit into that, maybe checked out any, anything like that. Obviously, nothing ever came of that because this case is still unsolved. But was that something that the police pursued? Um, I really doubt it because he had been out of school for two years. And, hmm. you know, whoever specifically had bullied him, I, just from things that he told us, I don't know that it, I don't know that there was a particular kid. Mm -hmm. I think it was just kids. Yeah. And, you know, Jason was the type that he wouldn't want to narc on someone so i even doubt that there was records of specifically who was bothering him mm -hmm. so i honestly don't think that plays into it at all I mean, he was his mother just completely dismissed that at all you just don't think that that was something that that was a possibility well i mean again this going to that school was two years prior and yeah you know, those kids could have moved away or not even lived within, you know, that neighborhood directly by the school. It, it, it's hard to say. Okay. Fair and, enough. I mean, and sure, there's there's nothing that doesn't say that, you know, one of them saw him and said, oh, hey, yeah, I remember him. And, I, I mean, you don't know, but you, you can't investigate what, what you don't know or what information that you have. And we certainly didn't have the names of any bullies to give right. the police because if we had we would have yeah you would have okay um what about uh you know i, I you know the, the years go by you know so fast for me but um what was the status of the documenting documenting of sex offenders in nebraska and other states at that time you know i, I know a lot of us made about it today and people trying to kick sexual predators who've been in jail and are out out of their communities. What was the status of that in Nebraska at the time, and specifically uh, the Omaha area? Well, I don't know if it was any different than it is today, um, but, you know, they had to register just, mm -hmm. just like they do today. And and so there was, given the kind of neighborhood that it was, like I said, there's kind of pockets that weren't so good. Mm -hmm. um, there was quite a few sex offenders living in the area. In fact, there was one that lived in a house that was 
not quite right across the street from that park, um, and it would have been more like a few houses down if you got to the park and you went the wrong way, so opposite of, of how you would go to the school, but still within visual of the park. Okay. And since then, it's, you know, it's been 15 years, have the police, once again, no names is, are needed here, have there been suspects that the police have investigated and cleared, or is it one of those situations where, you know, they have a suspicion that, you know, nobody's been included, nobody's been excluded? Or is this... Yeah, there, there's really no strong suspects, nor was there ever. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at the time, um, and even sometime later when I learned... Uh, that sex offenders weren't necessarily going after little girls, let's say. Yeah. As an example, that yeah. sex offenders would have a different, you know, each sex offender might have a different, um, you know, type of, of uh, victim that yeah. they would go after. Right. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, cute little girls. It, it could be anyone. Yes. Um, but it, at any rate, they, they did check out sex offenders in the area and and also looked into that uh, years later as well. Uh, There was a person at Jason's previous job who was an older male who tended to befriend and invite to his home young males, Mm -hmm. and they checked him out Hmm. um, and didn't find anything suspicious with him. It was just someone... um, that they had talked to in interviewing people who had something to do with, you know, in Jason's life. So, again, there was never, ever has there been a person of interest at all. Hmm. I mean, everyone that even had the slightest little bit to do with Jason was definitely ruled out, like people at the restaurant, for example. Right. Uh, you know, what was interesting to me the, f- the first time we talked is, is something that you just said is that, you know, a, a mother's intuition. I, I just want to give you an example, you know, maybe from my life that, you know, if something would have happened to me like this and, you know, at the same age and, and everything. I, I think that my mother and, you know, maybe because I maybe tended to be a little bit more of a polarizing guy, maybe to this day that might even be the truth, that – my mother would have been said, you know what, you need to check out this person and that person and this person. This isn't the case with you. You are, to this day, you've told me that, you know, you just can't put your finger on anything. No, and and quite honestly, nobody else can either. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's not just me. Um, there was a, there was a, a veteran cop, a, a detective who was involved in the case at the beginning and he'd been with the Omaha Police Department for 30 years. That's a long time. Yeah. And he said, in my whole entire career, there has never been a case as baffling as this one. And that tells you a lot. It does. And, you know, going back to Mother's Intuition, I never had any strong feeling like, he's definitely alive, I know he is, kind mm-hmm. of thing, or... You know, I, I feel in my heart like someone's harmed him. I, I yeah. never had an impression that was strong one way or the other. And in thinking about that, it's it's like, is that 
a way to protect myself because whichever the answer is, whether the answer is he's not with us or he is, uh, it puts me in the middle. And so I feel like when you're in the middle, whichever way the answer goes, you're partway there instead of, and I've seen it happen with families who feel, you know, 100% conviction that their loved one is alive. And when they found out they weren't, they, they had an awful long way to go to uh, recover and to have some acceptance of, of what happened. So, In your work with Project Jason, do you find a lot of families feel the same way that you do? You know, a lot of them just can't put their finger on what happened and like the kind of feelings that you expressed, you know, right here? Yes, there is. But the the thing is, in in all the cases that we've worked with, is that there are not so many that are like ours, that are just Mm -hmm. downright so 100% mysterious, you have no idea. Most of them, the families know something. Yeah. You know, like there's a suspicion of the ex-boyfriend or there's a suspicion of, you know, these kids the person hung around with or this person or that person. There's some kind of a, a logical trail or, or leads or theory. Um, and, and so they have somewhere to go with their thought process of, you know, I feel like my loved one is not with us. Whereas in these cases, they're just so, so mysterious. I'm sure that, you know, most of them uh, do feel like me, but that varies per person. It, It really does. Yeah. You don't run into too many cases where, and let's put on the record that Jason was not a small guy. Six one. 160, 170 pounds, you know, the statistics I've seen on him. Not exactly a candidate for being, you know, attacked or anything like that. I mean, I mean, you talked about, you know, most sexual predators, you know, you think they go after little girls. Well, maybe they might stay away from six-foot-one guys, too. You know, they, the last thing they need is, you know, some sort of fight. Um, so that also has, I think, another complexity to this on top of the fact that it happened at you know 11 a.m in the morning <laughs> you but know to point out though that just because someone is a bigger person doesn't protect them because yeah. in jason's case he had such a sweet demeanor and i don't think he could think ill of of most people and perhaps was somewhat gullible and so you know mm. he he wouldn't be the type to want to fight anyone and but would so it, it, i guess the question i asked though but the person wouldn't know that beforehand they wouldn't well, no, they no, wouldn't necessarily they say well i know and once again unless the person knew him unless correct okay and then you know as i mentioned to you on the other call it's like it doesn't matter if you're the strongest person in the whole world right if somebody's pointing a gun at you right it doesn't matter that's true and, of course, you know, we we don't know that anything like that happened, but. Right. It would just then it, then it would just happen, end up being some sort of, you know, horrible, uh, wrong place, wrong time type well, of thing. Well, and I, I guess I'd just like to point out because people jump to conclusions that, yeah. you know, it's like, well, he was a young adult male and, you know, six foot one and mm-hmm. 190. So nothing bad could have possibly happened to him. But 
again, that's not true. We don't, yeah. we don't really know that. And just because someone's big and maybe strong too, it doesn't really mean a darn thing. Bad things can happen to anyone, um, no, no matter who they are or what their physique is. True enough. True enough. Um, and one more thing uh, before we move on to all the great work that you've been doing uh, at Project Jason. Uh, there's a name that came up, and it was we met, I mentioned it before, Sam Shepard. You don't believe his disappearance had anything to do with Jason's. You, there's no proof that it does. Let's put it that way. There's somebody that disappeared from the same neighborhood around the same time. Correct. Yeah. There's there's really nothing known. Of course, unfortunately, there's not very much known about about this young man either, which is uh, very sad. But but no. I had asked several times for them to look into, is there any connection whatsoever? And they couldn't come to any conclusion that there was. But you know what? Unless we know the answers about what happened to, to both of these young men, none of us know, right. really. Right, right. Okay, I just wanted to get that on the record because I know, no. I, know I know some people had talked about that, but I, I just wanted to... Um, hear you say it because you, you know, can tell the listeners uh, your opinion on it. Let's move uh, on. And another thing that sure, please. probably just, you know, mention real quick is that over the years, you know, toward the beginning they did a thorough investigation of anyone who ever knew him and mm-hmm. questioned and, and all that. And then they actually redid that, that whole, you know, talk to everybody scenario two times. Mm-hmm. over the course of, of all the years to just make sure, you know, are their stories the same? Is there something different coming out as far as information goes? And unfortunately, you know, nothing new surfaced. Nothing. And, and so those people, you know, were still cleared as far as any suspicion whatsoever. Uh, one, once, once again, I said this before. One more thing. Were you... Happy with the way the police – do you think the police did everything they could at the time to, to investigate this? Well, at the time this? that he disappeared, the, the initial disappearance, absolutely not. Okay. Um, because – and this happens with uh, a lot of people that disappear is there's an assumption they ran away or there's an assumption of, hey, they just want to get away for a while. You know, they'll, they'll be mm-hmm. back. Right. And and so there's no action taking during the critical hours and, and days that follow the disappearance. And once those hours and days pass, a lot of times you just simply can't get back that information. So let's say, for example, that you were in those walks on the way to school. You lived in one of those houses, and you were washing the dishes, looking out your kitchen window. You could see the street. And Jason walked by, and then a van came along, and he got in the van. But see, you know, weeks and weeks later, are you even going to remember that? Because it didn't have relevance. Yeah. But if if someone talked to you, you know, two days later and said, hey, did you see anything unusual? Have you seen this this young man and, and show a picture? Then someone would remember. But they're not going to remember weeks and, and potentially months later. Now, over the course of that first 10 days, we were being interviewed, and, you know, they were learning about Jason through us, and, you know, I think that they then had a realization 
something is not right here. It, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, media got involved, and and then things started to to move. So you know, ten days later, two weeks later, they did do eventually everything that I feel they could have done. But the problem was that first 10 days that you can't get back. Now, am I bitter? No. Mm -hmm. I I understand it because I understand the numbers. The sheer numbers of missing persons, especially in a larger city, there is absolutely no way that officers can respond and do all the things that they really should do on all those missing person cases. It's just, it's a numbers game. You can't do it. Um, It's unfortunate. And you can't go back in time. You can't undo it. It is what it is. And if we had the officers, the, the staffing that we needed, and they had the training that we needed, things would be different. Maybe we wouldn't be in this situation 15 years later, but we are. So you're saying it took some days before that neighborhood, that area between your house and the high school specifically, those people really found out that somebody had disappeared in that area at that time. Correct. It was was 10 days before media. Wow. And then the police started taking action, and they did a a walking search, not not a dog search, um, but a, a community volunteer walking search where they walked from the house to actually to the job and went down alleys and, you know, kind of poked around if there was, you know, um, a a building, a a structure of some sort, like a storage um, building, you know, kind of poked around what they could legally uh, looking for any kind of evidence whatsoever and, you know, didn't find a thing. Do you put a lot of faith in dogs? For the sense well, in... Uh, when, when I later learned about search and rescue dogs, because I didn't know a thing about them at that time, you know, yeah. I always wished that had I known what I knew later on and I could go back to that day, which I can't, mm-hmm. I, I would have tried to do everything that I could to get some search and rescue dogs to pick up a trail to, to figure out, you know, where does the trail end? Does that give us some clues? Um, but you can't go back. Right. Right. And that concluded the first part of the interview that I did with Kelly Murphy, the part of the interview uh, where Jason's case was the main topic. In the second part of this interview, which you will find in the next episode of Unfound, Jason's case is still mentioned, but it's mentioned within the context of what now Kelly does in regards to Project Jason. What she learned, the experience she gained from being a family member who lost a loved one, of course hers, losing a son, and what she learned from that – to help others and how that all got started and the ups and downs that have come along with what she has chosen to do now and raising awareness, raising money, uh, having retreats for the family members of victims uh, who've disappeared 
So you'll find that in the next episode. And just to give you a contrast, the, the, the first part of that interview that you just listened to goes for, what, about 40 minutes, something like that? My talk with her about her work regarding Project Jason goes for about an hour and a half. That's how deep we get into it, and that surely represents how important I think that is. Because we as amateurs out here, us doing these shows, and you know that there are many true crime podcasts, true crime shows out there, we're all just amateurs. We take an interest in this this topic, this genre. We feel for these families. Uh, we want these cases solved, but hardly any of us live it necessarily on a day-by-day basis. And frankly, very few of us have experienced uh, a case that hits us so close to the point that's, that it's within our own family. I know there are a few people out there. I, I think the, the woman who does the Vanish podcast, I've heard that she had a family who disappeared, a family member who disappeared, and that's why she started doing that show. But that is rare. So I wanted to dig into, in the second part of the interview, what that's like. And you're going to hear that there's a whole heck of a lot and a whole heck of a lot of improvements that need to be made in the United States regarding all of this. And she talks about uh, the, the difficulties in raising money and raising awareness Uh, And I give her all the credit in the world to keep forging ahead day by day, not giving up. So you're going to hear that in the second part of the interview. I think you're going to find it very interesting. It surely is looking behind the curtain as what goes on uh, for those people who do this day by day, every day, not just doing one show on iTunes a week. Now regarding... Her son's disappearance, there were a couple points that really stuck out to me. And I want to cover those before this episode is over. I preface all of this by telling you that a lot of times I do not get these cases correct. That my suspicions on certain cases that that eventually get solved, uh, a large majority of the time, I'm wrong. And I want you to know that. Uh, That's why I continue to tell you, or I will continue to tell you, that I am a reporter, not an investigator. I find the people who make the news, who are the experts, who are close to the cases, and they talk to you, and I just try to get out of their way. Regarding this case, I guess what's probably most distressing about this, and granted, is she said in her interview that it wasn't until 10 days later that the the police really started looking through the neighborhood and going door to door and asking people if they saw anything. Ten days is a long time in which people can forget things, and then people start saying, well, was that a Tuesday or was it a Wednesday? And they start asking, what day did he disappear? And I completely understand why Kelly was frustrated with uh, the police at the time. and But also, it gives the opportunity, if it was somebody 
in the neighborhood who did something to Jason that they would have, of course, a long time to cover it up. And when I think of this case, I think of another case that it's a talk that I've had with another interview that uh, a person who will appear on this show in in another episode. I think of the killer Neil Falls, who lived in Henderson, which is a suburb of Las Vegas, from 2000 to 2008. In that, here was a guy who probably killed at least three or four prostitutes between Nevada and where he was eventually caught. It was either West Virginia or Virginia. And while he lived in Henderson... He lived in a woman's home with her daughter. And she never suspected him of killing anybody. She thought he was a little strange, a little protective of his stuff, very private. You should know that the people who worked with him, and I'm going to creep you out probably with this. I probably met this guy. He worked as a security guard at Hoover Dam inspecting vehicles on the Arizona side as they come from Arizona into Nevada across the Hoover Dam before the bridge there was built. And that I had a job at the time from 2005 to 2008 where I went into Arizona quite often across the dam and came back. I am absolutely sure I met, met this guy. Well, he was killed by a prostitute he was trying to kill in, like I said, West Virginia or Virginia within the last couple years. So that's kind of weird. That I probably came across him and I don't remember him though. But he was able to cover this all up. The woman and the daughter that she that he lived with, never afraid of him. Had nothing but nice things to say about him. Even though they admitted he was a quirky guy. I'm going to just say in this case, in Jason's case, that it's kind of the same thing. Um... And it would not surprise me at all. And and you find out – it's amazing how many times you find this out later in in cases that were murders or disappearances that at the time the police actually interviewed the guy who actually did it, but they didn't have enough information. He was able to fool them, and it's not till many years later that maybe this guy strikes again that the cops figure out they were right the first time around. I think of Gary Ridgway that way uh the the green river killer who killed what a couple dozen women at least that they know of and he was a suspect early on but he managed to get through their filter and when they finally did catch him it was very obvious that he did it but he was a ava- he was able to fool them for years that also comes to mind in in a case like this where you hear a mother who knows the neighborhood very well, probably better than her son does, and still has no answers. And in fact, she has devoted all of this time, all of these years, in being familiar with missing persons cases because that's what she does now and talking to family members who've had people disappear – And it hasn't given her any more enlightenment after all these years. She has all this experience, and still she looks back at the disappearance of her son and is completely puzzled. Uh, 
I am open to the idea that it was somebody in the neighborhood. I'm also open to the idea that somebody who knew Jason drove by and picked him up. Now, I should say, on the other hand, because of Jason and his um, mental deficiencies, even though, like I said during her interview, if you do find that recording of him being a DJ, you're going to be amazed. Uh, And I was not just trying to be nice when I told her that he really has talent. He does. But given his... Uh, mental deficiencies in just you know a, a few small areas, I could see a situation where maybe somebody did come along and it could be that Jason is still alive today. It's, I, I think it's possible, and I think that that's why so many parents uh, will continue to think that their children are alive. Until proven otherwise. In the recent case of Jacob Wetterling, his parents believed that he was alive until those remains were found. And in in Kelly's case, I think it is perfectly logical for her to still believe that Jason is alive. Once again, given the circumstances, given that – once again, nobody has been tracked down, no suspects, nothing like that. It's very, it's very, very possible. Uh, not probably probable, but so I, you can see a lot of uh, anybody who listens to this, and I've known about Jason's case for a long time, long time, as a person who follows these disappearances, and that's why getting to talk to his mother uh, was uh, amazing to me. I'm glad I can get her story out there, and in the next episode, you'll hear the continuation of her story. That it's always been one that's been confounding to me, and maybe it's been that way to you, and maybe you have your own ideas. Maybe you live in the Omaha, Nebraska area and are familiar with some story that I don't know about that Kelly doesn't know about that may could could be related to what happened to Jason. Maybe you live somewhere where something very similar, a young man who had everything to live for, clean living, early 20s, late teens, goes for a walk, never comes back. It could be the same situation. And if that's the case, I hope you let me know. I hope you let Kelly know. In fact, you don't even have to let me know. Just let her know. Let the police know. I will gladly find out about it through the news or if Kelly tells me or something like that. Don't feel you have to contact me. If you want to contact me about something like that, please do. But I'm going to hope to hear that you contacted the police first, just for the record. Uh, Because I get the idea. My belief, if this was or is an abduction case, that whoever did this, this was just not the only time. I think that... People like this that do this, it's usually more than one case. They live 75 years, and they've probably done it many times, and that person could be getting away with it to this day. And it may just be that he is good enough at kind of mixing up the MO of what he does or goes from Omaha to Seattle, Washington to Tampa, Florida, I just don't know. But 
these this is the way that a lot of these kinds of people are caught that somewhere down the road they are caught doing something and the police start going back through and saying well where did he live this year when when did he in this year where did he live and it may be that some guy gets caught similar mo they start going back through his work history what he was doing and they find out Hey, in 2001, he was living in Omaha, Nebraska. And I I think that that uh, is a good possibility of the way that this might get solved. Once again, if that's what happened. Uh, I would admit that I have a hard time visualizing Jason just walking out of his life. Just walking. And uh, I think that if we had... More accurate statistics on that, and how I don't know how you could go about doing that, but if you could do that, you'd find that that's probably a very, very small percentage of cases. I also have a hard time real uh, visualizing, and once again, I've told you that a lot of times I do not get solved cases correct. I have a hard time visualizing that he was on his way to the school and got hit by a car. By somebody, and then that person felt like, "Hey, I gotta throw the Jason in the car because I don't want to get caught because I'm drinking and driving because uh, I don't have a license because uh, right at this moment I'm cheating on my wife and she's gonna wonder what the heck I'm doing in this neighborhood." Um, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Uh, it's just not a very high percentage chance, but. I do these shows to get all of you thinking. Once again, I'm hope I'm hoping that one of you is going to hear about this case and relate it to some unsolved case that you personally know that maybe isn't as well known as Jason's case. And who knows, there might be something there. And then we can get this all resolved. That is the reason I do this show. I thank Kelly for trusting me with her son's story and I appreciate her sharing the story with all of you, the listeners. I also want to thank her for the next interview and the next episode of Unfound where she talks about everything that she has done since her son disappeared. I remind you that you can find me on Twitter, Unfound Podcast. I urge you to subscribe at Podomatic. And iTunes, I'd love it if you gave me a very nice review. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.